What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. So we've got Jeanette Lynn Craft, host of the Living Room Talk series, where she talks about mental health, diversity, passions, connecting athletic trainers. And then this series was set up by Victoria Morris, who will be joining us, as I mentioned before. She put together this series. Um, and she since then, her kind of job has changed where she has to help out with junior high track coaching and stuff like that and so it it's just kind of a weird situation but we're thankful for Jeanette to join us here this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mental health diversity again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mental health diversity so Jeanette welcome to the the sports medicine broadcast and looking over your your bio at LaGrange college where you're the athletic trainer it says you're the senior woman administrator now i'm not a grammatical expert but it seems like it would be senior women's administrator uh explain to me what that role is of senior woman administrator at lagrange college so it's actually my name's pronounced janet uh and my mom would want me to correct that so but the senior women administrator and that's a lot of misconception people have about the role and the title it's not when you put the apostrophe S, it, it denotes, a, it has a meaning to it. Whereas woman with M-A-N says that I'm in a leadership position as a female. And it was a way to get more females in leadership roles in athletic departments, but it has transitioned to way more than that. The responsibility is different institution to institution on the collegiate level. And it's also how the institution and the department wants to utilize that position as well. Okay, so it's not that you're a women's administrator, administrator for women's sports or women, you know, females on campus. It's that you are a female administrator, a woman administrator. And so it was a spot created and reserved for women to improve that diversity there at at the university. Absolutely. I'll, there's some institutions where the athletic director might be a female, so they might have that dual role where you're the athletic director and the SWA, whereas I am fortunate enough to have an AD who is a female that recognizes the addition of another female with the admin staff to have that different voice. So in our admin staff, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven people in what we call our admin team, so our A team. And three of us are females, including the AD. So we have an associate athletic director and me, the SWA. Gotcha. Very cool. All right. So we talked about the mental, I mean, the, the living room talks. Um, and again, I, I listened to the living room talks. Some of them, and I, and I knew it was Jeanette. Wait, okay. Say it for me. Janet. Janet. All right, and so I'm probably going to do that again. So that, that there's just something I, I talk about on the podcast all the time. Whenever I I just get something stuck in my head. So Janet, Janet, Janet. All right. So feel free to correct me because, again, that is your name. That is who you are, and there's no shame. And, there, you know, there, there shouldn't be an embarrassment for me to say your your name correctly i think i'm saying that right i don't know it can it kind of fits with the the conversation here as we're talking about mental health diversity so living room talks tell me 
a little about a little bit about where that came from, how that started, and what have what have been some of the lessons you've gotten from that? So it started out about a year and a half ago. My first uh, recording was in June 2020. And it stemmed off of just conversations I was having with people and the realization that these conversations were ha were being held privately between two people or a group of people. But some of the things that were being talked about needed to be shown to everyone or everyone that was interested. Another part of the reason why I wanted to do it personally was a commitment that I made to myself to go outside my comfort zone and what I've been used to. I'm not a big talker. I, I don't like actually speaking in public. And that's always been my reason, my personal barrier, my self-made barrier of not being more involved and not being more vocal with my concerns or just raising my hand and asking questions. So I asked myself, why not me? Why shouldn't I have this platform for discussions amongst athletic trainers to not talk about sports medicine or athletic training, although the subject does come up, but to talk about the person that holds that job and has that title and the struggles, personal struggles, uh, professional struggles, societal struggles, department struggles, and just kind of give people a face, a forum, seeing people from different backgrounds from different parts of the country, different settings and seeing how they view just life in general. So it was more about having the conversation about athletic trainers and how they are as people and not just the role. I like that. Why not me? Why not me? It it's a lot of work to host a podcast and you know i'm kind of at a point now it's where it's like there's lots of other ones do i need to just step aside or just kind of shift and and again it's it's always a question is it's a lot of work but why not me why not be that person that steps up and says hey i can do this so all right so what have been some of the lessons some of the things that you've enjoyed most about having these conversations just how similar and how different we are too. There's both sides of things. So it's interesting to me how similar just people that you think would not, you would not have any personal connection with, how similar the experience has been. But on the flip side, how different the experience has been. So I started off with interviewing a lot of my friends or acquaintances or colleagues that I knew and then it branched out to people that I didn't know, whereas I got referrals from, you know, people that have done the talks that, you know, these people would be really great at speaking on this topic, or it would just be great to get on video or on, on audio about how they feel about things. And just, again, how similar and how different we are. And I love seeing that and learning about those differences and, Athletic trainers in general are very open and honest. So that's been great too. I haven't ran into anyone that says like, no, I don't want to talk about this. No, I don't want to touch this subject. And all the questions that I've asked, everyone has been so honest and open about their experience and their opinions on the matter. So that's what I, that's the biggest lesson that I've learned that you're always going to find common ground 
with some people, even though you think you might not have anything that you have in common with that person. All right. So you're talking about the, the similarity and differences. You're from San Francisco. You went to school in Louisiana. You're working in Georgia. So like completely opposite, you know, you've covered the whole country more or less or the whole southern half of the country in your experiences and and your development. So what are some of the, the things there that I guess have helped you connect with people? I like to start off with family. I want to know their background. I want to know where they come from. But you have to be careful with those questions too. You don't know what their family life is like. So it could be a positive experience or a negative experience. And that's either way, that's a conversation starter. Either way, they're going to tell you the honest truth about their family from, you know, just the basics, you know, who your immediate family is to something maybe more uh, personal, like what's your relationship like with these family members. So a lot of times the, again, the common denominators, we all have a family story. We all have a, I saw one of your podcasts talking about Avengers. So we all have an origin story. <laughs> and that's the best story that I can tell is my own story. So that's always a good starting point. So speaking of Avengers origin story, hopefully Victoria is, is listening and joining us soon. But I just recently watched the uh, uh, Legend of the Ten Rings, Shang-Chi, I think she, I, I can't remember the exact name, but it was the Legend of the Ten Rings, the new uh, Avengers one. And it was filmed in San Francisco, so my wife has been there. And so it's fun to watch with the boys and say, hey, there's the there's Lombard Street or there's Ghirardelli Square, you know, just the different things that uh, we've seen as you know, traveling across country, that kind of thing. And it's, it's really cool to see that part. Uh, and just, you know, you being from San Francisco, it made me think about that as, we were, as I was getting ready for the podcast this morning. So, all right. You are... And exciting to having the first Asian, you know, Marvel movie. And I say Asian Marvel superhero for a reason. It is one of the first. Um, it wasn't the only one. But to have money be put behind it. There's been plenty of movies where it features a predominantly Asian cast where there wasn't, it were independent movies. So it being a big blockbuster movie and in the Marvel genre and the superhero genre and being filmed in San Francisco is just such a special movie to me. Yeah. And that, similar to Black Panther, that was one of the first ones that I think the Marvel where the black community really felt connected. So I'm glad that that, is a thing now, you know, it's not a, it's still a complete barrier. So. All right. So we talked about you are from San Francisco. You've been all across the country. You are the, um, the senior woman administrator. Then you've also, you're also in charge of the ethnic diversity advisory committee for the Georgia athletic trainers association. Um, and you said you don't like speaking in public, but you've presented, <clears throat> you've presented about, um, the mental health, mental needs of collegiate athletes and at state, local, and national meetings. So tell me a little bit about your background, your family history type thing of mental health, and then what that looks like from your perspective, and then we'll go from there. So mental health is a personal issue. It's not a political thing. It's not a platform that I'm choosing. It's a personal issue. I have depression and anxiety. I deal with it. I 
manage it the best I can. I'm not perfect at it. Are there days where I forget to do some self-help stuff or take my medications or do what I need to do? Yes, I'm human. Um, so it's not a, a professional issue. This is me. So because of that, having personal experience in the profession and just in society at large, the misconceptions and the stigmas surrounding mental health and mental wellness, there was such a gap in knowledge and again, a stigma in talking about it. So once I started talking about it more, especially with just amongst family and friends, I saw the reception to the conversations because once I opened that door, it made other people more comfortable talking about either their issues or having these conversations. So as an adult, having these conversations with family, they've been more open about their personal struggles and their history, which has been very interesting and enlightening and a great way to grow as a family too, and as friends to kind of talk about these things that aren't normally talked about or normally touched on. So the presentations came about where I was looking for resources for my own supervisors. Um, most preceptors, supervisors, employers don't know how to manage uh, employee or subordinate that is very vocal about their needs and issues, or maybe don't even have the language to, to talk about this. And there was a push a couple years ago, and it's still going on. A lot of research has been done on patient care. So how do you treat the patient? How do you help out? But there was, again, such a gap with how do we help ourselves? How do I help you? How do I help Victoria? How do I help my peers? So looking for resources and finding them, I was like, well, I can't just keep this to myself amongst my department. So, and I talked to some friends and they didn't know the information either. So I was just like, okay, this is a sign. This is a sign I need to do something with this information, hence the presentations and standing in front of a room full of people. At the end of the day, I tell myself what I tell the students. You know, no, nobody's gonna boo you at a conference. Nobody's gonna, you know, throw, I don't know, banana peels or their coffee at you if they don't like the information. They're gonna gather what they gather from it. Hopefully they have one or two nuggets that they take away and you move on. I read a book by an Atlanta-based uh, artist, his name is Lecrae, and he was talking about how in the black community, especially at that time, like he had a mental breakdown, he had to get checked into to rehab uh, because of his mental health, and that's something that like was an embarrassment to the community, like it's something his mom wouldn't tell people because it, it was an embarrassment, even though, you know, they were living in the ghetto and uh, in the hood, as he talks about, like where, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins all kind of living in one place. It was still something that you just couldn't talk about, couldn't discuss because it was an embarrassment. Have you experienced that yourself personally growing up? Like, did you feel like supported from your family, from your community, uh, dealing with your mental health? 
I think my mom is a different breed. Um, she's an immigrant from Hong Kong. She came here when she was 19 and she's just been very progressive just straight away. It could be her upbringing in San Francisco or just, I don't know, the way she grew up. You would think on paper, fresh first generation American with an immigrant mother, there would be a lot of resistance, but she was the one pushing me to go to therapy. She was the one making sure I went to therapy and had all the medications I need. So in that way, she was very helpful and amazing. Amongst the larger community in Asian American culture, there's a big difference between Asian culture and Asian American culture and where you kind of fall along that spectrum. And it's definitely a spectrum from topic to topic to topic. But the generalization with mental health and mental wellness in general is there is a stigma with keeping this in-house. There is, you know, it is private business to some people that you shouldn't talk about this stuff. But the way I look at it is we'll talk about all our medical problems amongst each other. My back hurts, my knee hurts, my neck is tight, you know, I have a headache. This is just along those same lines. My back hurts, my neck hurts, and I have a headache, but I'm also kind of feeling blue right now because it's 35 degrees at 10 a.m. And it's we see like three hours of daylight at some point. So seasons and workflow and where your stress levels are should be part of that conversation. So I've been more open about speaking, you know, openly with my athletes too. I don't give you the general uh, statement back about, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. And I'll tell them straight up like, I'm terrible right now. I'm having a rough day. <laughs> I'm just getting through and I'm just managing. And that's just where your personal or my personal comfort level is with expressing that. It's interesting. We have five kids, three biological, two foster. And one of the foster daughters is two and a half and she's just been with us for a month and so it came she came in october which is you know the tail end of football season tail end of volleyball season the startup of basketball and so it, it's kind of a busy time for us in the profession and it was just you know adding one more kid isn't that big of a deal but making that big adjustment um it's kind of like having having a newborn but nobody really realizes it's a newborn because it's a two and a half year old and we already have kids and I think over Thanksgiving, I realized just how important that time is because we needed that time as a family to, to be at home, to relax, to reset. And, you know, I, I would say normally I'm a, I'm fine. I'm good because in general, you know, I am good. But when people asked after we got back from Thanksgiving, hey, how was your Thanksgiving? I was like, you know what? It, we really needed that. We needed that time to, to reset, to kind of get on the same page as a family, to have everybody take a breath and say, okay, we've got this. And I think it's just so, so important for us to be able to say and admit that just like you're saying, like, I'm not doing great today. You know what? I'm, I'm struggling. Just the other day I had a girl come in and like, okay, well, if a hundred percent is, uh, you know, a perfectly normal, uh, Victoria, and then 10% is an almost dead Victoria. Where are you? She's like, I'm about 60% because I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I feel sad. And it's, oh, okay. All right. I don't know that I've had anybody tell me that, but 
all right, so, you know, let's kind of see what's going on. She's like, I don't know. I just feel sad. So just being open and having that conversation is such a big help, I think, for, for people to, to understand. So, um, And I talked about Lecrae, black guy, mental health was kind of an embarrassment. You're working at a university. I don't know the stats on the number, on the ethnic diversity of collegiate athletes. Do you happen to have a, a ballpark number on that? I've been focusing a lot on division three because that's my setting right mm -hmm. now. And it's such a under researched um, area in, 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 in research. So I know at my, my school where we're a small liberal arts private school, uh, an hour and a half outside of Atlanta. So I've been interested in just more local demographics and seeing how that matches up with our institution and with our athletic training professionals. So in Georgia, the uh, diversity is not the best, but it's on par with, you know, national numbers. It's about 80, 85, almost 90 percent Caucasian and fluctuating between 9 and 11% diversity, self-reported diversity through NATA membership numbers. And that's all the numbers I have. I haven't looked into other strategic partners only because, you know, I'm, I'm with EDAC and I want to see our membership numbers and see how that breaks down in Georgia. So, and then with our university, we have about 800 students and same kind of demographics about uh 80% 90% caucasian uh 75% male so it's all very much dominant culture around me all right so in that um what is you know the, the topic is mental health diversity and kind of in the conversation beforehand i said you know honestly the majority of the clinicians or mental health professionals at this point are are predominantly white and and we talked about having somebody who looks like you to speak to and i talked about last time how sophia my mexican native co-worker has a different connection with students than i do because she looks like them because she's younger um, because she speaks their language she has those cultural you know she knows what they're talking about when they say uh, one of these foods or whatever it is or you know the sodas tastes different in mexico she has that different connection and so tell me a little bit more about the mental health diversity the need for it um how you're helping how we can help with that i think what you said is so true it's finding someone that looks like you that might have the same background as you that have that just common denominator finding someone so for me, trying to find a therapist as an Asian American female that understands sports is probably not easy. It's not going to be easy for me to find that. So having support amongst athletic trainers has been my outlet. And having purposeful hiring practices and conversations or having resources being pur purposeful with that, knowing what your demographics are and finding where the needs are and where the lack thereof is. So if you are like, like for me, 
we have such a majority population within the profession and at where I work, what are we doing for the 10%? That's how I look at it. What, what are we doing and what are we not doing for that 10% or 20%? So we have 25% females. What are we doing for them? What are we doing for the 10% of diverse athletic trainers in Georgia. So that's the way I look at it is where the focus or the attention is already going to be with the majority because they're the majority. So what are we doing for the population that might not be seen or heard? You said your mom pushed you to see a therapist um, when you were younger. Was that therapist a, in, Asian lady? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. He was a six foot three white male from Connecticut. And did you feel that disconnect? As what what age did you start that? Started in high school. So he had he was work. It's funny. So he was working on his master's in clinical uh, counseling. So and and he was trying. To specialize in uh, teenagers, pediatrics, but mainly teenagers. So knowing that he was still in the learning stages helped me initially as a patient because we were both learning. Um, I was learning the language, like how do I express myself and he was learning his therapy skills and how to get get me to where I needed to be, where I can be positive and functional, like positive coping mechanisms. So it was a good learning experience for both of us, I think, because I could tell that he was learning and I was definitely learning. So it was a good uh, two-way relationship. As we've had these conversations about diversity and understanding the different cultures, and just the, the fact that the majority culture or whatever it is, um, like as a white person, I just don't think that seeing a, a black male as a therapist would have really been like, oh, you know, it, it bothers me or anything like that. But also I'm, I'm not that, I guess, perceptive. I just, I kind of just do what I'm going to do no matter what, no matter who's around. Um, and so I'm, I was just, just wondering how, how much that would have affected you in high school seeing that. So, um, Victoria, I know this is kind of on the spot. You shared on social media, um, your mental health struggles. And then there was a, there was a point to where you were told by athletic training professionals that you need to pick a different career. And you said there was even a point, I think in college where you tried to take your own life. Um, that's all stuff that you shared publicly on social media um, can you tell just a little bit about that story and then kind of where that went there as far as uh, the mental health aspect? Yeah, totally. So my mental health, I'm still battling it now. I mean, we all know as athletic trainers, like 2020, 2021 has been bad. And so back in 2020, everybody was laid off. They didn't have jobs, you know, like sports were on pause we didn't know when they were coming back and everybody just they didn't know what to do and they're sharing on twitter they're sharing on social media you know like i'm 
I'm feeling lost. I don't know who to talk to. And so I decided to share my story because I've been there, granted in a different way. Um, but when I was in college, I had professors tell me that the way my attitude was and the way I was acting in classes, I was not being the model AT student. Um, I was withdrawing from classes and I wasn't being as engaged as I used to be. My preceptor scores were going down, but never once was I asked what is going on outside of the classroom? What is going on outside of clinicals? Nobody asked me about the struggles I was going through of trying to pay for food and paying for rent and knowing that there were days I went hungry um, because I couldn't afford ramen noodles. And an incident happened that I'm not going to get into, um, but it basically led to me almost being kicked out of the athletic training program. And nowhere in that conversation was there a question about mental health, but yet we bragged about how we were trying to, you know, be there for our students and all this other stuff. And at one point, my, one of my professors got so angry with me for not like responding and just sitting there that he like slapped his hand on the table and it scared the literal, excuse my language, shit out of me. And I went home that night and I was like, my professors don't care. My classmates don't care. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this. They don't think I should be here. So it was me and my dog, which I credit my dog for saving my life. Um, but I was sitting on my bathroom floor and I had a razor blade in one hand and pills in the other. And I was literally just debating on which one would be easier. I mean, did I want to go through taking the pills and suffering or did I just want to go the other route? And it was my dog laying on me, not getting off. Like he wouldn't get off of me. I couldn't move that he did that until my best friend just happened to show up. He was like, you're not answering your phone calls. You're not answering my texts. We know something's going on. And that literally saved my life. I wouldn't be here had none of that happened. And you look back on it and it's like, had one person, just one classmate, just one professor said, hey, what is going on outside of school? What can we do to help? How do you feel? It wouldn't have led to that. And then a few years later, I'm working as a high school athletic trainer. And I had a boss that he was not the ideal boss. Um, he had the idea that females should not be athletic trainers. They shouldn't be in sports. Um, he would degrade me behind my back, talk to the athletes about me. It made my life a living hell. Like I've never been that miserable in my entire life. I would call my parents. I'd call my grandparents. I'd call preceptors and just cry and bawl on the phone and tell them how I wanted to quit my job. And the first thing everybody would tell me, you can't break your contract. You break your contract, you lose your license. Not, are you okay? Like, do you need to get out of that? Is this a toxic situation? No, it's, you need money that you need to keep your job. So again, that time I actually did, I took the pills and the whole, you see the light tunnel thing is, it's real. Like you go through that light and I, I got to that light and thankfully my neighbors had called 911 and EMS did, they got me revived and brought me to the hospital. And that was really eye opening. It was like, as athletic trainers, are we really taking care of our profession and other athletic trainers? Like when somebody is complaining about their job, do we just go in like, oh yeah, we have those struggles too. Yeah, we work long hours as well. Like our coaches suck too. Or do we sit down and we're like, well, 
how is that affecting you as as a professional how's that affecting you as a person and honestly i didn't get that until 2020 like i never had anybody sit down with me and say hey look like you're struggling what can we do to fix this and it, i had to take it upon myself to go see a therapist and like janet said like I went to see an older white male who knew nothing about sports, who knew nothing about athletic trainers. And he, you know, he was like, well, maybe you need to cut back on the hours. You, you can't like, sorry, sir. I'm a solo athletic trainer. I, that's not easy to do. Or he'd be like, maybe you need to do this or do this. And I'm like, it's, it doesn't really work that way. Like the coaching world doesn't work that way. Um, and so I shared a lot of that and I was surprised by the responses I got of athletic trainers. They're like, I've been there. I feel that I have no support here. And I think like the NATA, I think even commented and they did uh, message me at one point about how they have the gather and the mentorship, but we don't have, or at least at the time we weren't advertising that as well as, you know, an option for athletic trainers. Like, Hey, you can call AT cares and it will connect you with somebody um, if you have that traumatic like injury and you have the adrenaline rush and you don't know what to do to come down off of that, call somebody and they will guide you through it. They have questions they're going to ask. Nobody ever told me about that. It wasn't until Mike Hopper messaged me and was like, hey, have you tried AT Cares? And I was like, what? What is that? Like, what is this thing? And then he explained it to me. And I was like, where was that five years ago? Where was that when I was a student, when I was, you know, a newly certified athletic trainer? And I was struggling and I had nobody. Um, and so now I get messages like crazy on social media from athletic trainers, like, Hey, I'm struggling. I don't know how to find a therapist. I don't know how to work it into my schedule or I'm burnt out. I'm getting a lot of that right now. A lot of athletic trainers, especially young professionals are burning out at such a high rate. And they're like, what do I do? And so I do, I take time. I'm like, okay, here's my cell phone number. Call me, text me. Let's do a zoom. Let's, you know, let's talk about it and find out what we can change about you, not the profession, but like you, do you need more vacation time? Is this something you need to sit down with your AD or your admin and say, Hey, look, I can't do A, B, C, and D until I fix me first. I mean, everybody knows this as an athletic trainer, you can't fill from an empty cup and the profession, I think, is getting to that level that all of us are at an empty cup at this point. And we have to take care of ourselves. We have to recharge ourselves, refill ourselves before we can take care of our athletes or take care of our patients because we're not providing quality care if we're not taken care of. And I think a lot of athletic trainers need to step back, take a step back and look at it from a personal like okay, yes, these people are complaining about their jobs, but this isn't about me, it's about them. So don't say, well, yeah, I, I have those same struggles too, or, you know, all athletic trainers go through that and maybe you just need to toughen it up. It's not about you. And a lot of athletic trainers tend to make it about themselves. I know I do that too. I post on there, I'm like, yeah, I'm struggling too. But if somebody's complaining, they're asking you for help without asking for help. And I don't think we, I don't think we as people understand that, if that makes sense. I think the, and I love that you shared that story. I have a similar story. Uh, very, very similar. We'll talk offline about it. Um, a very similar story. So now, so now we're in a position to 
help others. And I think that's kind of why in my mind, I'm not going to get all spiritual, but I think that's why we went through it. And that's again, Jeremy, going back to like, why not me? Why shouldn't I present this information? Somebody else needs to hear it or somebody else can remember the talk or remember the, the resources that I provided. Um, Victoria, we were talking about Avengers earlier, um, but I, I use the Watchmen a lot as an example. Who watches the Watchmen? Who's, who's taking care of us? And we have to take care of each other. And that's what I learned last year when I started the living room talks is I don't necessarily need a, like a clinical therapist. I just need to talk to someone. I just need to, you know, brain vomit or emotion, diarrhea, what I'm feeling and talking amongst athletic trainers, even though they're not, you know, we're not trained therapists, we're not trained in cognitive behavior therapy and all these, all these techniques. But Victoria, if I talk to you about my struggles, you would get it. Jeremy, if I talk to you about all the stresses at work and family life balance, you get it. So why not reach out to people similar in our path? about these issues. And that's where I think AT Cares is great. I think that's why having these podcasts and putting faces out there is so important. It puts a face to something. It's it's a personal issue now. It's not, like I said earlier, it's not a platform. It's not something that, you know, I chose. It kind of chose me. And I feel like it's my responsibility to be open about it and talk more about it and present the information I got for my employers. Like I was telling Jeremy, why do I present on mental health topics? It's because when I was dealing with my return to work, there was, there was such a vacuum of knowledge. How do I return to work after having a crisis moment like that? Do I just run back into it full time? Do I, do my supervisors limit my hours? I don't know what my rights were. Can I take time off for this? You know, I know I can take time off for, you know, post-pregnancy and post-surgery and, you know, being sick and everything, but can I take, can I use my sick days for mental wellness? So those were questions that I had that my, I think most, employers and preceptors and supervisors don't have the answers to maybe your HR department hasn't even looked into it. So me gathering all this information, and obviously it's going to vary institution to institution, state by state, how your, you know, sick leave is, you know, accumulated and how your supervisor feels about it. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you have the information and you have the, the tools and you have the people around you that can help you find those tools or just be a listener, I think that's one of the biggest steps we can take. Yeah, no, I like how you mentioned that it puts a face to like the person because I use this example a lot with my athletes um, because right now we, ha I have athletes who are struggling. I mean, we're getting into the, you know, the winter time, we're getting seasonal depression and then we're coming off one sport, going into another sport. And so I use the example of Dak Prescott. 
So when you think about Dak Prescott, and yes, I'm in Texas, so we're Cowboys fans. Um, but I use that example. I'm like, what is the first thing you think of him? And, you know, they're like, oh, he's, you know, the quarterback for the Cowboys. He's a professional athlete. He's a football player. He's really good. And then, you know, if you ask for football players, they start spouting off stats. Um, but I'm like, well, do you know that he has come out and he has mental health issues and he's come out and he's, you know, done interviews about it. And they're like, really? And so I'll read them, you know, the articles about it. And I'm like, okay, now tell me about Dak Prescott again. And they're like, you know, he's a football player. Uh, he struggles with mental health. He's strong for overcoming all the stuff he did. And I'm like, okay, so now you have all these descriptors for him, but does that change him as a person? Like what was still the first thing you said about him? And, you know, it's still the same thing that they did before they knew about the mental health issue. He's still a quarterback. He's still, you know, a professional athlete. He's really good, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, now apply that to yourself. You know, you're still, you know, Jeremy, and now you know that you have mental health. Are you still Jeremy? You're still that same person. You are a human. And I think as athletic trainers, you know, we think that we need to be up on this really high pedestal of, you know, we should never show our emotions and like, when we're talking to our patients, it should be all about our patients and we shouldn't, you know, put any focus on us. Whereas when our athletes see that and our patients see that and other athletic trainers see that, it doesn't take away from who we are. If they still think we're an amazing athletic trainer, they're going to think we're an amazing athletic trainer. They're just going to have more respect and more trust in us. I mean, like, like I said, and you said the same thing. I tell my athletes, I am having a bad day today or I'm having a crappy day or today's been the worst day ever. Or after that Alabama-Auburn game yesterday, I was like, don't talk to me because that was the most stressful game ever and I can't handle it. And I mean, the kids, they, they respect that. And now they'll come to me after practice and they're like, Coach Morris, today is a bad day. And I'm like, why is today a bad day? Well, I failed my chemistry test or my girlfriend broke up with me or I've got these issues going on at home. And it's like, whoa, have you talked to anybody about the stuff going on at home? Well, no, because nobody's going to care. I care. Like, I don't care about basketball right now. I don't care about cross country right now. I care about you going home. I mean, I have a great story, and I don't think I've ever been more proud of a kid than I was two weeks ago, but I had a kid who was failing two classes. And as coaches, you know, we know the story of the coaches going to the teachers and like, hey, can you round up the grade? You know, can you get this kid to play? Progress reports are coming out. And it just, it wasn't working. So finally, I sat the kid down and I said, why are you not passing our classes? They're not, you're not failing by that much. It's like 10 points, five points. Why, what is keeping you from passing your classes? And he told me, he's like, I go home and I just don't have the energy or the motivation to do homework. I've got other stuff going on at home. He's like, you know, my bedroom is literally the laundry room. So like, I have no privacy when I go home. I go home and I find people's clothes all over my bed and that's a struggle for a teenage kid. I mean, outside of all the other stuff that's going on. So I told him, I was like, look, stay an hour after practice and do your homework in the training room. You know, there's nobody going to be disturbing you here. It's just me doing laundry and cleaning up. You can get it done. I can help you if you need it. Then you go home and you don't have to stress about the homework. You know, it's getting done. And six days later, he comes and talks to me. He's like, Coach Morris, I passed both of my classes because I was able to get my homework caught up. And it's because I did it in the training room with you. That kid is playing better in basketball because of that, because his mood is not as crappy and he's, you know, not stressed out anymore. And it's just a ripple effect. And I think as athletic trainers, we need to understand that, hey, like mental health is not a small part as we used to think like, hey, it's, you know, a little bit here and there. 
it is probably the thing that's going to affect everything. If I know my athletes say, if I feel good, I look good, I play good. And so we got to get that first step fixed. We got to feel good so we can look good so we can play good. And I think athletic trainers need to be in on that feel good part, not just the play good. And it's funny you say that. It's kind of a run on joke with with my athletes slash patients now. Like if I come in like dressed to the nines, like, you know, business casual, looking good, they're like, Miss Janet, are you okay? I was like, nope, but I look great. (laughs) So if I look great, I'm going to do great. So that's that's what we're going to work with today. I feel that if I got the nice shoes on my kids know, like if I pull out the Jordans or I pull out the air forces, they're like, coach Morris is having a bad day, but we're about to look good doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, you find ways to balance it. You find ways of balancing it. And that's what, and I think we have the same message on, on mental health right now. It's, it's just providing an outlet providing resources, the same resource that works for me as this Asian American female from San Francisco who lives in Georgia is not going to work with somebody with those same demographics. It's what's going to work for that person and providing options and again, resources for what helps them. Agreed. So you talked about resources, and right here you have listed the NATA resources, the EDAC, and the AT's Care. I know I've done a good bit of work with AT's Care, and it was a whole series of events where we had an athlete die, and then I had some administrator in the school basically say, I used to work in the ER, people die, it's just part of the job, and it's not in anywhere close. And basically that was how I would treat like, oh, just suck it up, get over it. And so then from that point, like that's kind of AT cares just happened to be created at that, like that next year. And so, um, I know I've talked about it a good bit on here. What are some of the things that we can do to encourage or share those resources? Cause Victoria, you said you didn't know, um, about them, but I've been talking about them on the podcast or been tweeting, you know, tweeting out that kind of stuff. What are some things that we can do to help make those more readily available? I'll just talk about what I do. Like if I notice a fellow athletic trainer, social media is just will, or I'll at least tag, you know, AT cares, or if I know the representative or find that representative, again, it's just offering support. It might not be AT cares, but it could be somebody in your network. Like, Hey, if I know a friend in California that's struggling, I'm going to reach out to, one of my friends who's in California, like, hey, you're in that area. Can you just reach out really quick? And there's usually not a whole lot of resistance or apprehension with doing that because at the end of the day, you're just networking. It could be another form of networking. So anytime I see something um, that even if I see in the news, like, you know, we have a lot of heat issues in Georgia. So if I see there's some sort of catastrophic injury that happened, I will mention out to my circle like hey do you know this person at this school or this camp or this area can you reach out to them because this and this happened so that's what i've been doing a lot i think um i got a magnet a couple years ago 
from AT Cares. I forget it was from conference or convention or what. So it's an inner training room. So it's there. Um, it might not be utilized, you know, by my colleagues, but it's there. It's a resource. It's like having that phone directory at your disposal. You might not call everyone on that list, but it's there if you need it. So those are two ways that I try and utilize the resources that NETA does provide. Um, I, I didn't come up with this idea, so I'm not taking credit for it. And I can't remember who gave it to me, but it was on social media. And somebody mentioned, have you ever noticed that when NATA dues are, you know, due or NATA fees or BOC fees, or like in our case, Texas, our licensure fees, they're always at a stressful time of the year, right? Like BOC is due, you know, 1231 at the end of the year and just coincidentally happens to be like the worst years ever. But maybe like after you go and you pay your NATA registration fees or your BOC maintenance fees, like at the bottom, there's something about, you know, AT cares, like, has this been a struggling year for you? Or, you know, are, have you dealt with a catastrophic injury this year? Like, here's some people to call or, you know, even putting EDAC or even like putting EDAC on there and, you know, Hey, for, you know, our diverse athletic trainers, like here's a resource for you. And the same thing with like whenever I have to pay my licensure fee for Texas and, you know, every two years and putting that on there because sometimes like I'm not going to read the emails they send out. Like, I know that sounds really bad, but they send it and it gets, you know, caught up in a bunch of spam emails. And it's like, I didn't know if that was a real email or was it from NATA? And then another great one is social media. Like, so I try to post it again. If I see a story about it, I try to post in there. Or if I see an athletic trainer that's, you know, struggling, I go in the DMs and I'm like, hey, have you checked out these resources? And I send them a bunch of resources. But I think it's also the state levels and the district levels need to get in on that. Because, like, for us in Texas, I follow SWATA and the TSATA a lot more than I do NATA because it personally affects me. Like, the changes that go on at TSATA, like that is my state. That's personally going to affect me. If we're choosing the next, you know, director of SWATA or, you know, whatever position's going on, like I'm going to see that change within the next few weeks or next few months. Whereas NATA, like the election, the only one that really affects me so much is going to be the president. And even then, like we can't get a high enough turnout for that election. So what makes people think that like if an ATA is going to post, you know, all these things about it, that people are really going to pay attention if they don't care who the president of their national association is like, I mean, I think what was the turnout this year, like less than 50% or something for the election. And then we're saying, Hey, make sure that, you know, you follow all these things that we're doing. Well, clearly they don't care. I mean, if you cared, you would care about who your president is. Um, but I think a lot of it needs to be done at the, the local, the state and the district level, because I don't see like SWATA, for example, I don't see them posting about it a lot. Um, but I see like the Great Lakes, their Twitter page is always posting things like that. Um, I know like the Far West Athletic Trainers Association, there were they were posting a lot during mental health awareness and SWATA. It was just a couple of like announcements and that's it. Unless I was missing some things, which I don't think I was. So I know one of the things and that both of you said is you can uh, reach out and connect them with somebody and say, Hey, can you call them? Or you'll, you know, slide into their DMS with some resources. Um, 
if Victoria is saying, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling today, and I say, me too, is that beneficial or harmful to you? I'm going to jump on that because literally this just happened to me today, and it wasn't somebody saying me too, um, but I'm not going to call them out, um, but if you go to my Twitter page, I posted yesterday about how I'm tapped out as, um, as far as money goes. Um, I posted about how like between maintenance fees and NATA fees and all this other stuff, like I, I'm just done and, and I'm aggressive. I have money, but like, I'm struggling here. Like that was a lot of money to spend at one time. And somebody posted on there, well, all ATs go through this, all healthcare professionals go through this. Maybe if you put some money aside, I'm sorry, but like my post, and this is going to sound bad and I don't mean it to, but like my post didn't ask for your opinion. Uh, it wasn't about you. I made that about me struggling and like other athletic trainers are like, yeah, like here's some resources that maybe we could do this, this, and this. That's kind of what I was going for on that. Um, so when somebody says me too, you're taking the focus off of the person who is struggling and now you're putting it on you and that harms them because in my mind, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, that comes like, you don't care about me. Like, oh, I go through that too. And especially in a message, you don't know how they mean it. Like, you're not getting the tone and the inflection. So it can come off as, yeah, me too. Like, I totally feel that. Or it can come off as like, yeah, I feel that too. We all feel it. Like, you know, why are you feeling that way? And so I think a lot of problems are with communication is that through text message, through social media, we're not able to get that voice inflection, the body language, all of that, that we get through like this Zoom call or through a phone call. You know, I think if you're struggling with something, a phone call is way better than a text message. And a Zoom call or an in-person meeting is way better than a phone call because then you know how that person's going to receive you. They don't have to say a word, but you can look at their body language and see if they truly care. I mean, if they're leaning forward, they're listening to me, like, versus they're sitting there, their arms are crossed, they're leaning, you know, back, like, this is boring, I'm just here because I'm obligated as a friend. Like, I feel like people don't understand that. And especially on social media, people don't read a lot of stuff before they post it. Um, And so then you go back and you're like, they're like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. It well, it doesn't matter how you meant it. It it matters how I took it. Um, it's just like people are like, I didn't mean to offend you. Of course you didn't mean to, but you did offend me. Like I'm sorry, you offended me. And then people get all upset about it. And then and again, it comes back to them again. It's like, well, I didn't mean to offend you. Blah blah blah. Well, yeah, now you're making it about you again, and the whole entire original thing was about me. <laughs> like I'm sorry, that's on a rant, but like. I've had that happen to me a lot lately on social media. And it's just like, I'm sorry. It's about me, not you. (laughs) And that goes back to your point. It's like, everyone makes it about them. Whereas if you just read it clearly. And I, and I go back to like the clinical setting for athletic trainers. If you come in with, you know, ankle pain i'm not going to talk about my ankle pain let's talk about what's going on with you so but with and i i realize this too when we talk about diversity or mental health it becomes a uh 
it becomes a personal thing because it is a personal issue. You know, I'm never not going to be a, a Asian female. You're never not going to be Victoria Morris or Jeremy. So it becomes, you want to, you just, I feel like people just automatically put themselves in your shoes and how would I react to it or how would you react to it instead of just hearing what is actually going on. I think that made sense. Yeah, I think one <laughs> of the things that I, I tried to do is something along the lines of you're not alone. Uh, and my intention is always the you're not the only person struggling with this somebody can help and so if i do that and it offends you then please let me know and again my intention is not we're all dealing with this suck it up it's there's there's people here to support you and and i think in the at cares training and the crisis in individuals training that's one of the things they talk about is um you know you're not alone just you're he, there's I'm here to support you that kind of thing so I definitely encourage AT's care and you know reach out find there's obviously Jan, Janet did I say it correctly yes. Janet yes. okay Janet has done presentations at various levels you could reach out and maybe have her present to your staff your class something like that via zoom uh, or just have her share that presentation with you, something like that as well. And then there's people like Victoria who have a real life story that she shared publicly to help vent for her or create that therapy session for her, but also to encourage and, and love on others and say, I've been through a similar situation. Let me walk beside you. Uh, so reach out to either one of them or, in, or the resources that they've mentioned here. So what's the best way to get a hold of you? Victoria is said Twitter uh, and Victoria you still feel like that's the best way to get hold of you yeah Twitter is probably still the best way to get a hold of me um, you can do my email and I'll I mean Jeremy has that he can post it on there um, but like I'm not checking that after a certain time at night I'm not checking that on the weekend so if it's serious like just DM me on Twitter and then I'll reach out to you, phone number, all that kind of stuff. And then follow my TikToks because I do have a lot of stuff on mental health, both athletes and athletic trainers. They're funny. So it's not an awkward like conversation. They're really sad. It's more, you know, like funny music to them. So if you want to learn more about mental health and laugh at the same time, that's a great resource as well. There you go. And Miss Craft. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, it's Janet Lincraft, full name. And on Instagram, it's Janet MLC, the number seven. All right. And then I have a link if you go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash, <clears throat> oh, I put it on the on the header for this thing. It should be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash living room talks. That'll be a a link that'll take you to the talks that uh, Jen is doing about this topic that we've mentioned multiple times. So again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash living room talks should, should take you straight to the YouTube channel. So you can subscribe there uh, and check those out you know, as you're driving or whatever it is. So I appreciate the conversation. And again, remember, don't just say me too. Like maybe you throw in that meme, like amen, preach sister or whatever it is, but 
be sure if you're communicating via text that it's I support you, not suck it up, right? Because you don't know somebody's situation. You don't know how close they are to the edge. If it is really just that one tweet that you send that pushes them over the edge, right? Just, I support you. I'm with you. You're not alone. We got you. That kind of thing. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash mental health diversity. Definitely take a, check out uh, what Jen is doing over there. Thanks, Tiffany Morton, for pointing us towards Janet and then uh, Victoria for all the work that you did to put this together. If you need some more CEUs that aren't from me or one of the other podcasts, then you can go to physicaltherapy.com slash one free course. Check that out. Again, physicaltherapy.com slash one free course and get you one course for free. And then it's only 99 bucks a year after that for all the CEUs you need. And if you got it right now at this point, we could get you this reporting period and next reporting period all taken care of. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Thank you all for joining me. Thanks, Tanya, for letting me know that my volume was low. So if you're watching live, if there's ever an issue, be sure to let me know. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Bye.